Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org/nach or on my website, ericlevy.com, under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I am pleased to bring to you Chapter 8 of the Book of Daniel. Bishnat Shalosh Lamalchut Bel Shatar Melech Chazon Nirah Eli Ani Daniel Acharei Hanirah Eli Batchila. In the third year of the rule of Balthazar, the, uh, the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, following the one that appeared to me earlier. The earlier one was in the first year of Balthazar, so two years later, Daniel may be trying to connect these two visions thematically. As I mentioned, both visions have these sprouting, destructive horns, albeit here it is on the head of a he-goat rather on rather than on some monstrous beast, which we saw in last chapter's vision. Um, since the he-goat here is explicitly identified as Greece, most modern commentators, and even some traditional commentators, identify both visions as referring to Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes. However, um, Ibn Ezra says that uh, Daniel does not equate these two kingdoms and these two prophecies, so therefore perhaps he's just trying to say, um, sequentially, after I had the first one, I had the second one. I don't know if something happened uh, in the third year of Balthazar, which prompts this vision. Balthazar served as a regent during his father's absence for 10 years. So in the first year, we understood that was when the um, the Persians actually led their conquest against the Medians. Um, here, we're just simply not privy to all the background history that drives the word of God to be delivered either directly or to be perceived. So perhaps something happened during the third year to cause this second vision. You may have noticed that we've switched back into Hebrew. Yay. Um, it's hard to say why, perhaps because the Babylonian kingdom is nearing its end, and since these visions no longer concern Bavel at all, they uh, switch away from the lingua franca of Bavel, which is Aramaic, and go back into biblical Hebrew. Even in the previous chapter, Babylonia was referenced, was a character in the vision, uh, as a winged lion, but uh, no more. Verse 2. And I saw it in the vision as, and I was looking, meaning he saw himself looking at, at something. And I was looking, and I was in the fortified city of Susa, or Shushan, which is the province of Elam, and I saw the vision, saw in the vision that I was, I was by the river Ulai. The name of the river is Ulai. And Uval in Aramaic is close to Yuval, a river or tributary in Hebrew. Uh, one gets the feeling of an ever-expanding vision. There's a lot of repetition in this phrase. One gets a feeling that as Daniel is looking at himself in this vision, the details keep getting filled in. First he's in the city, and then he's, the, in the, uh, he's by the river that flows by it. Elam was the name of the ancient civilization located in what is now southeast, southwest Iran. Uh, and it was absorbed first into the Median Empire and then to the Persian Empire during the time of Daniel. Um, the central region was around the city of Susav, Shushan. However, the word Bira, I didn't translate it. I translated it as fortified, not capital, because the word uh, Baru in Persian, the word Bira in Persian, essentially means fortified, not capital. Although you can see how a fortified city came later to mean a capital city. Now, no doubt Daniel has actually 
been in Susan, in, Shush, in Susa for real. He has a very high political status. He probably did a lot of travel. The location of the vision not only indicates that this is the empire which will be the most significant one, but it happens to be that Shushan was conquered shortly before uh, Persia moved its forces against Babylon. That is, first Cyrus came against Elam and conquered uh, the Median control of uh, of that uh, Elam province, and from there he moved pretty much directly to Babylonia. And I raise my eyes to see that expression by Sinai Vaira. Uh, it can indicate a wondrous or mystical or, or prophetic vision, but it could also just mean to perceive something new and significant. For instance, when Joseph's brothers, while he was in the pit, raised their eyes and saw the caravan of Israelites coming down from the Transjordan, it uses that same those th- those same words. Anyway, getting back to the verse, and behold, a ram was standing before the river, and it had two horns. The word "lo" is not lamed aleph, lamed vav. It had two horns, and the horns were tall, but one was taller than the other, and the taller one grew up afterwards. Raiti et ayil menageach yama v'tzafona v'negba v'chol chayot lo yamdu lufanav. I saw the ram gore to the west, to the north, to the south, and no animal could withstand it, and none could save them from its power, literally its hand, its yad, and it did as it pleased, growing ever greater. From a Jewish perspective, there was no need for this uh, ram to gore eastward, since Persia and Media were already at the, ether mo- the, the easternmost point of the habitable world. And uh, as you see, I've given it away that the ram is represents the combined Persian Median Empire. So therefore, we can also give away that the first, the smaller horn, is Media, and the second is the larger horn of Persia. However, in verse 5, trouble is on the way for that ram. And while I was giving a consideration, behold, a he-goat came from the west. Uh, note, it doesn't say it came from Yama, from the uh, from the Mediterranean Sea, because that would limit its geography to Israel. In fact, the Greeks came to the, from the west of Israel. And now I've given the idea away of the goat, which is that it stood for the Greek uh, Empire. Returning to the verse, it came from the west over the face of all the earth, but without touching the earth. And the he-goat had... Uh, a sight-grabbing or an attention-grabbing horn on its forehead, literally between its eyes. I don't know if the he-goat actually never touched the ground as described here. Perhaps it means it's a reference to the forces of um, of uh, Alexander the Great, the forces of the Greeks and the Macedonians coming mainly by sea. Or perhaps Daniel just means it sort of as a slight exaggeration. It moves so powerfully with these gigantic leaps that it seemed to never touch the ground. And it, that is the he-goat, came to the two-horned ram that I saw standing before the river, and it charged it with the heat of its strength, that is, with a, with a, with a great uh, and powerful uh, charge. 
Vayit mamar elav, vayachet ayil, vayishaberet shtei kranav, v'lo ayachoch bayil la'amodufanav, vayashlichayu artsa, vayirmaseyu, v'lo hayamatzil ayil miado. And I saw it reach the ram and viciously engage it or bitterly engage it from the word mar, and it smote the ram and broke its two horns, and the ram had no strength to withstand it, and it, the he goat, cast it to the ground and trampled it, and none can save the ram from its power. Verse 8, and unfortunately for the he goat, Utsfir ha'izim higdil ad ma'od, Ucha'otzmo nishbira ha'keren ha'gedola, Vatalena chazut arba tachter le'arba'a ruchot ha'shamayim. And the he goat grew supremely great, but at its great strength, that is at the pinnacle of its strength, the great horn broke, and beneath it rose four distinctive horns, which pointed to the four winds of the heavens, or as we would say today, the four points of the compass. Umin ha'achat mehem yatzakeren achat mitzira vatigdal yeter el anegev el amizrach vel atsevi. And from one of them, that is one of the four horns, came out a single small horn, and it expanded out towards the south and to the east and to the Tsevi, the beautiful land. Of course, Israel in Tanakh is referred to Eretz HaTzvi or Nachlat HaTzvi or Tzvi L'chol HaRetzot and that is the intent here that whatever this horn represents, it attacks in many directions. Negev probably means Egypt. Uh, Mizrach means further out to the east, meaning the Persian area, and Sevi is of course Eretz Yisrael. Vatigdal al tseva shamayim vatapel artsa min atzava min akolchavim vatir mesaim, and it became as great. That is, this little horn became as great, meaning in its in, in its aggression, as to come against the hosts of heaven, and it knocked down from that host and from the stars. That is, it knocked some of them down and trampled them. Va'ad sarat tzava higdil u'mimenu hurama tamid ve'hushlach machon mikdasho. It even aggrandized itself or himself against the chief of that host, the prince of that host. Uh, the sense of higdil in the hifiel is kind of a, a personal sense of rising to a great stature, of greatness, a self-elevation of the mind and then put into practice. Sometimes it's nothing but arrogance, and it indicates arrogance, and sometimes it's, it's justified. And due to it, getting back to the verse, that is due to the ever-expanding horn, the daily offering was thrown down, uh, in, in the Aramaic sense of the word huram, which means to throw down, as opposed to the Hebrew sense, which means to be lifted up. And his, that is the chiefs of the, of the, uh, of the host, his holy place was cast down. And an army, which means apparently the army of this horn, as opposed to the army of the, of the heavens, was set up to make the daily offering in transgression, and truth, which is no doubt an epithet for the Torah, was cast to the ground. And so it did, that is, so did the horn do, and it was successful. Um, Rashi actually prefers that uh, Tzavah doesn't mean the armies 
which must be the armies of the horn in this case, but he says that there was a, a set time, the word Savak can mean a designated time, much like an army is designated in its numbers, so time is designated out, uh, and it was set up for the Tamid to come back and the transgressions to stop, that is, it's good news. But I don't think that's the sense here. I think what the sense here is that the army caused a Tamid of Pesha, a a profane daily offering, maybe of pigs or or worship to some false god that were set up in the temple instead of the holy, the true offering as the Torah was cast down. Now, this vision is obviously shocking. Um, it's similar, in a sense, in many ways, to the attack of that arrogant little horn in the previous chapter. But before we get into the interpretation, the apocalypse, that is the revelation, the angels need to know that for themselves how long this abomination will continue. That is, they are shocked as well. Vayomer echad kadosh lepalmoni hamedaber ad matay echazon atamid vapesha shomeim tate vekodesh vitzava mirmas. And I heard one of the holy ones speaking, and then another of the holy ones said to the nameless speaker, quote, until when this vision, that of the daily offering and the transgression that caused the desolation, the the, the transgressions that that caused the desolation, or the tamid the uh, daily offering, which is a transgression and is a desolation, and until when the holy, meaning the holy place, and the holy arm, and, and until when will the holy place and the holy armies be trampled? Vayomer Eli ad ad erev boker alpayim ushlosh meot v'nitzdak kodesh, and he said to me, which is a little bit strange because one angel was asking another angel. Uh, so apparently the one angel asked this other nameless angel who was commenting or maybe even commanding the whole affair. Uh, and then that nameless angel turned to Daniel or perhaps to the other angel and said as follows. Until 2,300 evenings and morning, mornings go by and then holiness will be justified. Now according to Rashi, it is Israel's sins that must be atoned for until the holy place will be returned to the righteousness that is its due. In any event... The period of desolation for the holy daily uh, offering and the trampling of the holy place and the holy angels who obviously proxied proxies of the holy people, um, that will take 2,300 evenings and morning, which is a very unclear way to say 2,300 days if that's the intent. So, of course, the plain sense of 2,300 mornings and evenings and mornings is is 2,324 hour periods. But the strangeness of this wording allows for some pretty wide interpretations, including some gematrias, such as Rashi, who takes the two words and comes up with 574, and then applies that to further calculations later Later on, but as I mentioned, all this, all of this calculating is unwise. I mean, it may have been wise for Rashi. It's not for me to speak against Rashi, God forbid. But for me, as an as a as a interpreter translator, it's certainly unwise. And I think for us, it's unwise. Uh, Ibn Ezra points out that Sadiqon had a calculation which was completely proven wrong. Rashi's uh, calculation was proven wrong. Ibn Ezra instead advises us to take the historical approach. That in this chapter, as opposed to the previous chapter, which had ten ten horns and 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 it, and was different, this chapter, the horn that spreads out and attacks Israel and attacks the only ones, is in fact Antiochus Epiphanes. He asks us to take a, a historical approach. 
um, and the holy place and its daily offerings match very well to the uh, the temple that was defied by Antiochus Epiphanes, as well as his cancellation of the daily offerings and his establishing of uh, of um, uh, idol worship in the temple. In verse 15, Daniel reaches the part of the vision that gives the interpretation, that is the revelation. And it's interesting that the interpretation happens inside the vision. That is, in by Nebuchadnezzar, he had the dream, and Daniel, outside of the dream, interpreted it. Here, both the vision and the interpretation is happening inside the vision. Um, and as I, Daniel, saw the vision, I requested understanding, and behold, standing before me was one with the appearance of a man. We will see, this is the angel Gabriel. And I heard a voice from between the Ulai, remember that was the name of the river, perhaps the river had two sections, maybe with a dry space in the middle where one could stand, or perhaps there was a disembodied voice that came out of the midst of the river and told Gabriel what to do. Getting back to the verse, and the figure called out saying, quote, Gabriel, bring understanding of the vision to this one. Vayavo etzel omdi, uvavo'o nivati va'epela alpanai, vayomer elai haven ben adam kila'et keitza chazon. And he, Gabriel, came by where I was standing, and as he approached me, I recoiled and I fell on my face, and he, the disembodied speaker from the river, said, quote, bring understanding to this human being, because the vision is for the end of time or the end of a time, depending on whether you read end with a capital E or not, which means either I'm going to tell him what the vision is because eventually it will end, or the vision which I'm telling him about is for the ultimate end. The vision is clearly apocalyptic, but whether it is also eschatological, that is, whether it's messianic and talks specifically about the days of the Messiah, are not clear from this verse. But as he, Gabriel, spoke to me, that as he tried to go into the explanation, I passed out, fell to the ground on my face, but he touched me and, I, and stood me up on my feet. Fortunately, Daniel manages to hear the rest of the message without fainting again. Perhaps he's been invigorated by Gabriel's touch, and his mind can manage the overpowering vision, if not completely grasp it, as we will see. Verse 19. And he said, I am here to inform you what will be at the end of the wrath, which has a designated end, with a lowercase e, or which is the time of the end, with a capital E, again, depending on how you read this. So now we get to the revelations. The two-horned ram, which you saw... Uh, are the kings of Persia and Media, which are really the combined kingdom of Persia and Media, or Media Persia. And the he-goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn that is on its forehead is the first, or perhaps the primary, king, that is the primary king of Greece. For some reason, Gabriel redundantly uses the Hebrew and Aramaic terms for he-goat. He says, Safir, which is Aramaic, and Sa'ir, which is the Hebrew. Perhaps he uses the Hebrew Sa'ir in addition, um, because the word is similar to the Hebrew Tsa'ir, meaning youthful. So perhaps he's trying to describe the youthfulness of Alexander the Great, or the youthfulness of the new, uh, powerful Greek 
um, empire. Vahanishberet v'ta amodna arba tachdeha arba malchiot migoya amodna v'lo v'chocho. And that it broke, and that four um, uh, new ones arose underneath it. Four kings will arise from him, but without his power. Uvacharit malchutam k'atem aposheim ya'amod melech az panim at the end of their kingdom, as the transgressions, literally it says posheim, the transgressors become complete, there will arise an arrogant king who understands riddles, which means who is good at intrigues, plots, and that type of thing. According to Rashi and Eben Ezra, what it means by the completion of the transgressions, or the transgressors, are the transgressions of the Jewish people. That is, they must be completed, and as they are completed they call upon themselves the suffering and the intrigues uh, of this final king as a punishment. However, I think it's also possible to translate it a little differently. It's possible to say that it were the kings who became, who succeeded Alexander, this first king of Greece, who became more and more sinful until it reached an apex, a pièce de résistance with, uh, of evil with Antiochus Epiphanes. V'atsam kocho v'lo v'chocho v'niflaot yashchit v'etzliach v'asa and his strength will go great, but not due to his strength. And we'll see what that means in a second. And he will destroy with wonder, which means the destruction will be beyond the normal. He will succeed and do as he wills. He will destroy great ones, meaning other nations, and the nations of the holy ones, meaning Israel. Verse 25 explains how he will be so successful if it's not his own power, if it's not because of his own power. By his wit, with a successful trickery in his hands, he will go great. Which means he won't have great armies, but he'll be quite the schemer. And with complacency, he will destroy the masses, which means he won't even think twice about having masses murdered. And he will stand against the chief officer, that is the officer of officers, but will then be broken by no hand, meaning by no human intervention rather than God's will. Now whether this officer of officers is talking about Michael, or whether it's talking about God himself, it's pretty much the same. The commentators point out to this idea that uh, he will be destroyed by no hand, that from our perspective, uh, seemingly natural events, uh, choking on something, falling off a cliff, or what have you, wind up destroying the powerful at the very moment when they seem the most indestructible. Umar e ha'erev ha'boker emar emetu. And the image of the evening and the morning that was said, which means that, that all of this will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, is reliable, it is the truth, but you must seal the vision even for many days. Or perhaps yamim means ages or years, since the Hebrew word yam is flexible and can mean any one of them. Finally, v'ani Daniel nihiyeti v'nechaliti yamim and I, Daniel, was devastated and weakened for days. Then I revived and I did the king's work, but I was made desolate by the vision and I did not understand. The Aramaic word for ahava, nehiyeti, it can mean destroy or emptied as opposed to just to be. Um, also, 
at the very end, he says he doesn't understand, and it's not entirely clear what Daniel doesn't understand. The explanation was there. Uh, perhaps it's the timing of those days that he didn't understand. Perhaps it was the significance of the end, which he did not know what would uh, take place at that time. Maybe he couldn't understand how a lowly human king could challenge God and his proxies on earth. Um, I'm not sure we understand what Daniel didn't understand, and therefore, in the end, the vision remains to a certain extent kaluptos. It is uh, concealed and not apokaluptos or or apocalyptic. Um, it's not completely revealed. There is much here that needs revealing, and um, I'm afraid we'll have to leave it as it is, since the best I could do is a translation and offer some suggestions.